Hello and welcome to Praying on Purpose. Ever since we began our discussions on prayer almost five months ago, we have been speaking about prayer, davening, in a very general sense, referring to it almost exclusively as tefillah. That is the word that we use rather generically when describing prayer. Of course, we did talk about avodah, worship, and we try to identify the difference between tefillah and avodah and understand the messages that they convey. But we have not really identified other words that describe different types of prayer. But if we take a look at Tanakh, we find that there are, in fact, many different words that are describing prayer, not in a general sense, but specific types of prayer. And when you think about it, it's not particularly surprising, because since davening, since tefillah is such a central part of our identity as Jews, it makes sense that there should be many different types of words describing different types, different situations of prayer. I once heard, and I don't know if this is necessarily true or accurate, that people who live in very cold climates... Let's say the Eskimos, who live in some of the coldest places on earth. So they have many, many different words to describe snow. Because, you know, if you live where I do, you know, once in a while it snows, but snow is snow. There's a heavy snow, there's a light snow, there's a blizzard, there are flurries, but that's pretty much it. But if your entire life is snow, if there's snow always and everywhere, so you're going to think about it much more thoughtfully, and you're going to be able to identify many different types of snow. And so therefore you will have dozens of different names of snow because there are so many different types. And so it makes sense that when we talk about prayer as Jews, when we look carefully throughout the Chumash, we will find many different types of references to prayer. So there are some remarkable examples at the beginning of Sefer Shemos. In Pasha Shemos, which we just read, read yesterday, it says, that it was after the passage of significant time, the king of Egypt died, the Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish people, groaned because of the work, the labor that they were subjected to, and they cried out. Their outcry, because of their work, went up to God. God heard their their moaning. And God remembered His covenant with Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. If you look in these two psukim alone, we find numerous different words to describe what seemed to be prayer. And they groaned. And they screamed. Again, their shava, their outcry, went up to God. And God heard their moaning. So this is actually fascinating. Because here in Tupsukim, you have no fewer than four words that are describing a process of prayer. And it should be noted that nowhere in those two psukim is the word tefillah used. We're not finding the word avoda. Well, we actually are finding the word avoda, but a different type of avoda. It's referring to the back-breaking labor, but certainly not the avoda in the sense of tefillah. So here you have, in these two psukim, four separate rep- references to different types of prayer. And this should sort of whet our appetite a little bit to see, and this is just a sample, because there are more, that there are many, many words that we could use to understand and identify different types of tefillah, different types of prayer. Now, identifying the different words that are used to describe prayer, to a certain extent, that's the easy part. It's knowing the difference between these different words. Why is it that the Torah would use different words to describe the same thing? And once we realize that there are different words, so to really be able to take the time and to appreciate that there are so many different types of prayer. And when the Torah uses one word as opposed to another one is because it is looking to convey a different experience, a different process. And that makes, again, our attempts to really understand tefillah and to grow in different ways through tefillah all the more exciting. So let us now return to the example that we had cited and let us try to explain to the best of our ability what a specific type, a very unique and very specific type of prayer is, na'aka. The Torah says, Vayishmalukim is na'akasam. 
The Torah tells us that God heard Na'akosam. So the translation again, as it appears here in the English, Na'akosam is their moaning. What exactly does that mean? So Rashi tells us what's Na'akosam, Tsa'akosam, their cry. See, but the problem is that in the previous Pasuk, the Torah says, when they cried out. And Rashi tells us, what does it mean, Na'akosam, in the next Pasuk? That is, Tsa'akosam. So now it seems, almost like this is, this is just semantics. If Na'akosam means the same as Tsa'akosam, so then why is it that the Torah intentionally uses two different words to describe what is essentially the very same thing? So Rashi, seemingly in his attempt to clarify this, actually makes this, at least on the surface, a little more confusing for us because we have to decide. Is Na'aka different than Sa'aka? Yes or no? It can't be both ways. So this question is addressed in the Sefer Sha'arim Bitfila by Rav Shimshon Pinkus Zechon And I'd like to share with you briefly what Rav Pinkus says. So first of all, he has a chapter on Tsaka. And he explains that basically Tsaka is the primal cry, the scream that can emanate from any person, and for that matter, he says, any Baal even an animal, that when a person finds him or herself in a place of great pain or distress, so there is this natural tendency to go ahead and to cry out. And we know that this is, insert, to a certain extent, this is, this is just an instinct. If I stub my toe, I'm going to say, ouch, and if the pain is very, very intense, so I may literally start crying. This is something that could be uncontrollable. So it would seem on the surface that what the Torah is telling us is that the labor that Bnei Yisrael was subjected to in Mitzrayim was so intense, was so painful, that they were enslaved to such an extent that it made them cry. And this cry was not something that was consciously driven. It was not something that was a deliberate attempt on their part in order to uh, to evoke a certain response on the part of the Rabboni Shalom. This was something that was just natural and emanated from their being. But the Torah reflects that when God heard their prayers, it doesn't say, it says, Na'akasam. So Rav Pincus explains something which is very, very profound, and that is that it is true that Na'aka, at its source, emanates from a place of Tsa'aka, that there is this natural cry. However, he says Na'aka is when a person goes ahead and chooses consciously to take that natural, instinctual, sort of unconscious, primal cry and direct it towards the Rabboni Shalom. In other words, he says it's true. At its core, this is something which happens automatically. It's not really something that we can control and that we can suppress. However, we can choose to go ahead and take those natural primal instincts and channel them towards God. And so therefore, he suggests that's what happened over here. When they were in Mitzrayim, they were subjected to such pain, there was such intense suffering, that the cry was natural. It was not driven because they were looking to cry out to God. However, they then took that natural cry and they consciously directed it towards the Rabboni Shalom. And this is a form of tefillah. When we take our tzaka, when we take this cry, and we say, now I'm going to direct this towards the Rabboni Shalom. So to illustrate this point, Rapinka cites an interesting story involving Rav Baruch Ber Leibovitz of Kamenitz. He says that Rav Baruch Ber, when he was a young child, there was a particular incident, I'm not sure what happened, but I don't think it matters, where his father gave him a slap. His father patched him. This happens sometimes. And Rapinkas got up. He was a young child. He started crying. Obviously, he was, whether he was uh, startled, he was in a little pain, emotional pain, physical pain, and he picked up a sitter and he started daving mincha. So his father said to him, why daving mincha now? So he said to him, as a young child, he says, listen, he says, Tati, bein kachu, bein kachu, anibocha. Either way, I'm crying right now. 
I might as well channel this cry towards davening. So here, this is an incredible idea. Rabbi Baruch Ber, as a young child, realized, listen, I'm crying. Why am I crying? It doesn't really matter. But the bottom line is, I'm crying right now. I am in an emotional state of being. I might as well use this opportunity and channel it in order to strengthen my relationship with the Rabbona Shalolam. So he says, here is an example of a cry which is sort of natural. In this case, we'll say even incidental. It's not that the cry emanated from a place that he was looking to daven. No, it was a tzaka. It was a natural reaction. However, once he was in that state, so he decided to channel it towards the Rabbona Shalolam, and then it becomes sort of transformed into Na'aka. And that's why the Torah says, when Bnei Yisrael, when Mitzrayim, Vayizaku, they cried out, Vayishmalu kimis na'aka sum, that God heard their na'aka, meaning how this prayer, this cry rather, was transformed into a prayer which was directed specifically to the Rabbona Shalolam. This reminds me of another idea that I once heard from the Mashkiach of Kerem Yavna, Rav Avram Rivlin, who said, I heard this many, many years ago, that the Torah tells us that when Yosef is reunited with his father after many, many years, 22 years they're separated. So Chazal tell us, based on their understanding of what happens, what's recorded in the Torah, that at that moment Yaakov Avinu says Kriya Shema. And of course it's a little strange, everybody wonders, wait a second, why was Yaakov saying Shema and not Yosef? So the way I heard Rav Rivlin explain this is because Yaakov Avinu at that moment had this surge of emotional energy. He was so, he felt so elated that he was finally reunited with his long lost son. And at that moment, he just had such emotional energy, such intensity that he had not experienced in decades. And so therefore, he did not want to squander this moment. This was a moment that should not be wasted. If I feel such intense happiness, so how can I use that in the most productive way? And so therefore, he decided at this moment to recite Kriya Shema. He was Mekabel O Malchus in order to have a Shema like he had never had before. So it's such an interesting mindset that when a person is in a heightened state of emotional awareness, whether they're very happy or very sad, I'm not even sure that that matters so much, but the idea of taking these moments and sort of directing it to the Rabbona Shalom, this is a way that we can really act sort of more thoughtfully and intentionally when we have these very, very emotional moments. A very, very beautiful idea. And it's a way not only to, in this case, sort of describe the word naka, what that may mean, but really to think in general about how there are moments in life in which we may have very intense emotions. Again, happiness, sadness, there could be many other emotions that we have. We could be very excited about something. We could be very afraid about something. There could be lots of things that are on our mind and things that we feel at any given moment in time. And the idea of taking those moments and sort of channeling them and directing them as a way of augmenting, assisting, catalyzing, enhancing our tfilos, this is a very exciting idea and one that I think we should think about because we may feel as if when we come to Davin, we have to sort of clear our minds, which to a certain extent is true, and clear our hearts, which may also be true to a certain extent because Chazal tell us there has to be a certain emotional equilibrium that we have to achieve before davening. We're not supposed to dive in if we're completely, like a person is very angry, Chazal says, a person is very depressed. There has to be a certain mindset that we have to have. At the same time, there are going to be moments in which we're going to have a real opportunity to sort of capitalize, to take full advantage of the natural, instinctual, primal emotions that we have. And if we are thoughtful about those moments, we can look to transform them into moments of becoming closer and solidifying our relationship with the Rabbono Shalom. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful day.
Shine.